Welcome to Heart to Heart. Today we are talking about the Framingham Heart Study. High blood pressure increases your risk of having a stroke. Cigarette smoking increases your risk of having heart disease. Good cholesterol, or HDL, reduces your risk of having heart disease. Have you ever wondered how we came to learn all these facts? The answer, in part, the Framingham Heart Study. Heart to Heart is a series made for you, the patient. We hope to better public health and help you really understand more about your heart. If you are suffering from heart disease, high blood pressure, high cholesterol, or you really just want to learn more about your heart, then you should be listening to Heart to Heart with your hosts, the Yusuf Twins. We will delve into many topics across the field of cardiology to help you improve your health. Don't be confused. Be healthy. I'm Mohammed Yusuf. And I'm Ahmed Yusuf. And our guest today is Dr. Carter, Professor Emeritus with WVU, West Virginia University, at the Charleston Area Medical Center. So, Dr. Carter, it's a pleasure to have you with us today. Happy to be here. Why don't you talk about some of the history of the Framingham study and how it came to be? Framingham study is an interesting study because as old as I am, I was started well before I was in med school. It started back in the late 40s. And I can remember in med school them showing the pictures of graphs showing that cholesterol and smoking and obesity, etc., increase the risk of vascular disease, and particularly coronary disease. And what they did was they looked at several cities around the country. One of them was interestingly in Paintsville, Kentucky. And the other one was Framingham, Massachusetts. Well, Framingham, Massachusetts was a lot closer to Harvard and all the places that were doing these studies and looking at the data. And so they picked this community, and they did a very innovative thing. They looked at all the people they could in Framingham at different age groups, with and without heart disease, although most of them had no heart disease. And this was a prospective follow-up over decades. Unlike a retrospective where you look back and say, okay, let's look at 5,000 people and see how many of those subsequently developed heart disease, they looked at people as they were at that time and said, okay, let's follow them. And a tremendous amount of information on the natural history of people with or without heart disease over the next 40 or 50 years. They're now in the third generation of people. And I have a member of my church who lived in Framingham and he's probably in his late 60s, and they still see him every couple of years and pay him to go up there and put him through tests, etc. So they collected a vast amount of information, not just on risk factors, but many other aspects that would affect heart disease. So what you're telling us is they chose a large number of people when they were starting this study and followed them for years and are still following them today. Yeah, them and, that, and not only the second and third generation now. Did you know today, October 11th, just happens to be the 70th anniversary of the study? Oh, that's interesting. It's yeah. still going on. Yeah. yeah. Why don't you tell us about some of the things that came about because of the Framingham Heart Study? Well, first of all, only about a thousand and more papers have been written on different aspects. 
people think about the Framingham Heart Study because of risk factors and Framingham risk and your likelihood of developing cardiac disease. And I could go through that just briefly, but I won't go through all the extreme details. But basically, they looked at people at their 10-year risk and their 20-year risk of developing coronary disease. And they showed that certain risk factors, most of people would know now, uh, high blood pressure, diabetes, tobacco use, obesity, inactivity. And they didn't really interestingly look at family history, but they developed a scoring system that they get, and anybody who wants to look at this can go to Wikipedia or anywhere simple, look up the you know, risk score of developing heart disease within 10 years mm-hmm. or 20 years. That's it's, called the Framingham Risk Score. And that's right? the Framingham Risk Score. And, you know, there have been other groups associated with the NIH, the NCEP, which is another group that, that sort of confirmed this. And it's been, it's been confirmed elsewhere that, you know, risk goes up the more points you get. For instance, if you're over age 70, Right there, your 10-year risk is pretty high. I mean, it's... it's so you're yeah, saying age is a factor as Age well. is a huge factor, mm-hmm. unfortunately. <laughs> it's probably the highest risk factor. And if you're 30 and you, you smoke and you, you're overweight and you don't exercise, your 10-year risk is still very small. But 10 years is a short time. What about your 20, 30, 40, or 50-year risk? We have some data on that now, but as far as reporting the risk, I always point out to people, we're talking about a 10-year and a 20-year risk, and that depends on your age. So if you're 70 or 80 and you've got a 10-year risk, that's one thing. But if you're 30 years and your risk is pretty small, your 20 and 30 and 40-year risk might be quite high mm-hmm. as the years go on. It will be significantly higher than other people without a high risk score. So you're saying this risk score basically just takes into account all these factors, sort of adds them up, comes up with a number. And that, then you look at the number and it tells you what your risk, your 10-year right. and your 20-year risk. But you shouldn't necessarily be fooled by the fact that it's a 10-year risk because maybe the 20- or 30-year risk could be slightly different. Absolutely, yeah. Okay. You, might be, you, may, you may think, well, when I get to be 40, I'm just an old man, nobody cares. You'll be very interested to not have a heart attack when you're 50 or 60. Although, from a treatment point of view, it's it's hard to show benefits of treatment such as lowering cholesterol and stopping smoking, etc., on a maybe a 10-year risk or 20-year risk. But if you look at it over 30 or 40-year risk, it'll be maybe significantly higher. It will be significantly mm-hmm. higher in things like treating of high blood pressure and stopping tobacco. How do your cardiologist, your run-of-the-mill cardiologist, use the Framingham Risk Score? Well, two ways. You know, one one is it's not really very helpful when somebody comes in with chest pain to say that this pain is probably due to your heart. The sort of common perception is well, the Framingham Risk helps you greatly in deciding whether this chest pain is cardiac. The thing that helps you the most is, is not the Framingham risk. It's how the patient describes the pain and the history that you need to get, mostly from the history, but a little bit from the physical exam. Three things determine whether the pain is more likely to be heart pain, and that would be age, sex, and the history of the type of pain. And the history of the pain is probably you know, the most important 
Now, for instance, if you're a female under the age of 40, and you have a history of what we call typical heart pain, your risk of this being cardiac or finding blockages is about 25%. Same age with a male, your risk might be, instead of 25%, it might be 50%. And that has led to some people say, oh, well, doctors don't worry about females having chest pain because they are different type. You know, they don't have the, if they're females and young, they don't have uh, heart attacks are enough to worry about them and just send them home. But 25% risk of this being cardiac pain is pretty high to me if I were having the pain. But it is a big, in deciding the likelihood of what tests to do, if your history is what we call atypical in a female at age 35, the likelihood of this being associated with blockages may be 2%. So if you do a test, and that test, like a stress test, is positive, their risk may go from 2% to 4%. Now, if you're a 75-year-old female with diabetes of smokes and has had a typical history of angina, their likelihood of your finding disease is now probably 90% because of their age and their other risk factors and the weight, and more importantly, in how they describe the pain. So if you do a test now that picks up 90% of the people with the disease but will miss 10% of them, if the stress test is positive, it, your likelihood now goes from 90% to 95%. And it decreases if it's negative from 90% down to 80%. So in that group of people, doing that test is probably not going to help you very much because you already know they've got a high risk. And if it's negative, it's just going to be a little bit lower. So the Framingham risk is people have got the idea that it drives whether the pain is cardiac. What the Framingham risk score is pretty good. If Sitting there with somebody that has a cholesterol that's in that range that you're sort of not sure it warrants taking medications that have cost and side effects, is what is that 10-year and 20-year risk of having heart disease? The higher that 10 and 20-year risk, the guidelines would encourage you to then use medical treatment as opposed to just what you do with anybody. It's preventive measures. Don't smoke, don't keep get your cholesterol down, exercise, etc. So one of the things that we see today as physicians working to try to treat heart disease, we tell people to diet, to exercise, to not smoke, Watch how much fat they're eating. What did it look like before the Framingham Heart Study was done? Well, I can't tell you because I wasn't <laughs> in medicine at that time because that was well before I was even thinking of med school. But the sort of mentality of the 50s and 60s was coronary disease is due to age, and when you get old, you get coronary disease. I can remember being taught at med school in the early 60s that smoking did all kinds of bad things, not just heart disease, but worse, cancer of the lung. And, you know, smoking cessation improved dramatically in the early, late 60s and early 70s when the Surgeon General came out with the reports. 
and I guess he evaluated the Framingham study and other studies about smoking because to me, the, I, I always tell my patients who smoke a lot, I say, well, eat all the cholesterol you want, don't exercise, and hope you have a heart attack because it's a much better way to die than cancer of the lung or your mouth or your whatever or being on oxygen for the last 10 years of your life affecting the quality of your life a great deal. So just hope you die quickly of a heart attack. It's a better way to die than cancer of the lung. One thing that kind of piqued my interest was the Framingham Heart Study, of course, is based on, at least originally, the people of Framingham in Massachusetts. So I was wondering, are there limitations to how far the Framingham Heart Study reaches? Does it generalize across the entire United States? Does it generalize to even other countries? Or, you know, what are the kind of limitations? Well, that's a good question. And initially, they were predominantly European background or African Americans that didn't look at Native Americans. They didn't look at Latinos. They didn't look at, I'm sure, many Asians, because there weren't many in that study. They've subsequently looked specifically at other groups, particularly Native Americans and Latinos. But I think if you look around the world, these factors have held up around the world. Okay. So what you're saying is originally in the beginning portion of the study, all races may not have been covered, but as the study progressed, they they covered all. They added some, but still, I imagine Uh Framingham did not have a large ethnic population that other cities would have. For instance, if you did it down in Texas, you'd have a much bigger Latino population. And if you did in California, you'd have a larger Asian population. Mm -hmm. So over the years, it's held up on its own? Yes. Even so? I mean, you can pick at all kinds of things. Like for some reason, I never quite understood why they don't add family history. Now, there's family history and there's family history. You know, somebody tells me, do you have a history of, family history of heart disease? And they say, yes, doctor. Well, tell me about it. Well, my grandfather died at 80 of coronary uh, disease. And then that's like telling me you've got a family history of death. All my ancestors have died. But if you tell me you had a father at age 45 who died of a heart attack, then the next question I ask is, did he smoke? And if they say, no, he didn't smoke, then I'm really worried about that patient. Then I asked them, did they have any brothers or sisters? So there's a whole spectrum of severity of family history that I don't think we, we should necessarily neglect, even though it's not in the, in the Framingham risk score. Right. But the Framingham study still contributes to that because, as you mentioned before, they're now on the third generation of the people who right. initially started in that right. Framingham study. So now they can look at family history and really... Right. Is there anything that the Framingham study could have potentially added, or if there's any way you could have changed the way the study was done, or anything that could have been brought more to the table, is there anything you can think of? Well, people think of the Framingham Framingham study as just risk factors for death, but there are all kinds of other aspects, clinical aspects that were looked at. And, you know, they looked at everybody that had an echo starting when they started doing echocardiograms or electric or EKGs and that, that had certain findings on EKG. What was the outcome 20 years later of people that had 
such and such on the EKG or such and such on an echocardiogram, what was the percentage of people that had an abnormal EKG or echocardiogram and what happened to them over the next 20 years? One of the really interesting things to me about Framingham Heart Study and other studies have confirmed this, if you take the, a population like Framingham and you follow them for whatever, 40 years, 20 years, and see of those, how many of those developed manifestations, clinical manifestations of coronary heart disease or blockages. We call it coronary heart disease or it could be peripheral vascular disease or in your neck for stroke. But let's just look at how many of them developed heart disease. And of the ones that did, what was the first manifestation? You know, was it chest pain? Was it heart failure? Was it hiccups? What was it? Well, 30%, it was no warning. They just died suddenly. So of the group that developed the first manifestation of heart disease, 30%, approximately the first manifestation, was sudden death. So, you know, they didn't get a warning. They didn't say, well, I'll wait and... If I get heart disease, I'll be a good boy and I'll treat it with doing all the things I'm supposed to do and take medicines and prevent it from happening. But They didn't even get that chance. Yeah, they didn't get that chance, right. Mm -hmm. The answer is not treatment, but prevention. Right. So and what you're so saying we is... want to prevent, and how do we prevent? Okay. When we go back and look up the Framingham risk and use that as what to advise patients to do. So given that the first presentation of heart disease in these Framingham patients who are being followed was sudden death, do you think it's fair to attribute that the Framingham heart study as one of those factors prolonging the life of, of people in America today? Yeah, I think we, I think we, yeah. The, the incidence of, if you look at the, the incidence of known coronary artery disease or blockages decreased about 50% in the 1960s and 70s. So the incidence came, and half of that is attributed to risk factor modification, and we give Framingham the, the most credit mm -hmm. for that. And the other half is better treatment. So we have bypass and medications and things. So in a way, we're going back to the basics then, looking at prevention. Prevention, right. And, and the prevention, you know, the, the improved, the decreased deaths from heart disease today are a combination of prevention and better treatment. It's about 50-50, some people would say. Well, I guess sort of to wrap up a little bit, what are some takeaways you think that everyone, the average person, should maybe keep in mind about the Framingham study? Well, I think that the, the Framingham study has been tremendously helpful in, in clearly identifying uh, lifestyle factors or, or factors just related to eight, you know, not, not your fault. You're 80 years old. You're 80 years old. You can't control that. Now, they didn't look at family history, but that's another one you can't control. But the modifiable risk factors are, I'd put number one on the list, tobacco, and number two, hypertension, number three, cholesterol, and, and what we call the lipids, 
and then inactivity, obesity, et cetera, et cetera. Wonderful. Well, I suppose that should wrap it up. I'm Mohammed Yusuf. And I'm Ahmed Yusuf. And I'm Dr. Bill Carter. That's it for today's episode of Heart to Heart. I'm Mohammed Yusuf. And I'm Ahmed Yusuf. And until next time, stay heart healthy. If you are curious to learn more about your heart, and more importantly, what you can do to keep it in great shape, you can find more informative episodes like this one by searching Heart to Heart on Apple Podcasts or Heart to Heart Cast on YouTube.